1: We talk with an abuse survivor named Poncho, and Poncho was in a physically abusive relationship with an impulsive spendthrift. It's a story of childhood sex abuse, caretaking, thinking you're the problem, and infidelity. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, we have Poncho. How are you? You know,
0: I'm doing really good. I am a little anxious and also excited to finally tell my story and hope that maybe someone else can hear my words and know what I went through and find similarities so that they will not stay in such a bad situation.
1: Well, thank you for being here, Poncho. And you went through a lot. You went through emotional abuse, you went through physical abuse, and you went through financial abuse as well. And your story is a little bit uh, different in in a way because you were in contact with the person before you and you're in contact with the person after you. And one of those people in in this story is needed your help. And then the other person, we can kind of say right now that they were the opposite of what you needed and could possibly be still trauma bonded to that person in, in a way. And even though that they went through something similar to you, they were still doing the bidding of them in a way and really didn't have a concern for you at all. Whereas you and most do. So, you know, thank you for, for, for being here. Cause you're going to really help a lot of people. So now without further ado, Poncho, the floor is now yours. Yes. Well, you know,
0: I think back of, you know, always, I get to where I'm at today. And it has to go back to the time when I was seven years old and um, living in a very small town on a dirt road, really poor. And this is in the late 60s. um, We did not even have indoor plumbing. Uh, We pumped water. And, you know, it was a harder life. And So I was the oldest of three kids and my mom and dad divorced when I was seven. And then my mother took me into town and worked two jobs. And I was there till I was nine years old. Um, And I had my brother was three years younger and then my sister three years younger than him. So we were there for a couple of years uh, and I would have visitation with my father Um, he was an alcoholic, they fought a lot and, uh, I seen some of the fights and I'm the only one at my age that has memories of them together and as bad as it was between them, um, he was always good to his kids and he would pick us up and he would take us out to the grandparents and we would spend time out there and, uh, my mother was dating periodically always, um, not a nurturing mom, uh, more hard, more took care of the needs of the kids. We had food and shelter, but there was no hugs or I love yous or any of that going up. So when I turned nine years old, uh, she had, you know, dated a few different men. And at this time, This one particular gentleman that was there in the military on some kind of a, oh, I guess when they bury a soldier, you know, they'll come and do some something. So she met him at a bar and within a few months, we had to pack up everything we could fit into the back of his Cadillac. And we were in one state and then we were taken far away to another state And immediately she had us go by his last name, which to this day, I don't know how legally that can work, but it did back then in 69, 1970. So I never had contact with my real father or anyone on that side of the family again. And I was told to call this new man, dad. And it wasn't too long after being in this new place, where I had had nobody um, to talk to, my mother worked a lot. He was in the military. Sex, the sexual abuse started, um, and the threats of "if you tell, I'll leave your mother; you will have nothing." And the hard life lessons of more like you're a military soldier. Um, if you didn't do what you were told, the way you were told to do it it would be like I was the dishwasher. Uh, And if those dishes weren't clean or there was grease on those dishes, he would take every dish out of the cabinet, every pot and pan, every silverware. And even though I had school the next day, it would be, you're going to learn to do these and do these right. You change the water, make sure it's hot. I don't care how many hours it takes you to do it. Now, my mother never, you know, ever got involved in any of that. She let him do what he chose. So... That, but the, but the sexual abuse right away, um, I, at a, as a nine-year-old little girl, um, got very quiet and uh, very shy, and my grades suffered. Uh, and as this went on, for three years, over time, we moved to different places, and I would be woken up in the middle of the night. My mother worked nights, sometimes at the hospital as the nurse's assistant or whatever. So he had free reign, and he would take me into his room at night. And there's a lot I have blocked out that I choose not to remember. Um, But nonetheless, I'd be put back in bed. I'd be tired the next day at school and not do well. And there was a situation with my brother where he, he was six. And he, nobody had ever taught him how to wipe his bottom correctly. And so my stepfather took it upon him for punishment. And at six years old, he made him wear a diaper and a dress under his clothes to school. And my mother did not step in to do anything. And to this day, that hurts me more than everything that's happened like to me. But she knew that. She can say she didn't know about me, but she knew that because I knew that. So there was that abuse. And and again, I have no contact with any other side of that the family. Um, then my father, my stepfather gets stationed in Germany and we leave. And then it was like I was a butterfly. Uh, he left me alone. I came out of my shell. I got more outgoing and a cheerleader. And I just felt like life is good finally. You know, he's leaving me alone. We're in Germany three years. I think everything is going great. We end up going back to the States. And a situation happened, and we're in on-base uh, dependent housing, and uh, go, I go upstairs, me and my sister share a room. And like I said, she's six years younger than myself. And at this time, I'm 16. And my mother's downstairs crocheting or something as usual, but my stepfather's upstairs in the bedroom. In his bedroom, the door's cracked, it's dark, TV's on. I noticed my sister is in there, and she's like at the side of the bed. And I just got a really weird feeling. So I called her into the bedroom, and I had her sit down, and I looked at her, and I said, what were you doing in there? And nothing, nothing, you know. And I look at her very deeply, and I'm, please tell me things happened to me too. And she started crying and that's all I needed. I went downstairs and I flipped out to my mother. I'm like, your SOB of a husband has sexually abused me when I was nine years old to 12. And now he's doing it to my little sister and you're sitting down here. He is sick. He's a pedophile, blah, 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 whatever, right? Okay. My mother, of course starts crying, screaming, yelling. He comes downstairs, he's crying and she leaves. She's the victim and she leaves for three days and he's in the kitchen, he's got his head in his hands and I'm 16 and he's like wanting me to feel sorry for him. And I'm sorry, I'm sick, I'm sorry. And when my mother comes back, It is never spoke of again. It is my sister doesn't get help. He doesn't get anything treatment. We find out oh he has to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, but he's in the military and they got to keep up the facade of military guy. You know he's been a Vietnam good soldier. So nothing ever became of anything. But it was all out in the open then, right? So me, I want out. I end up getting married immediately after graduation, to someone about seven years older than me in the military. That's my out. I'm going to get married, and I'm going to get the heck out of here. Never thought of college. I knew they didn't have money, but it was never even talked about. So I marry at that age. I, I stay there for, I don't know, nine, ten months, and then he gets out of the military, clear across country, and then the abuse starts with him. I can't go out and drink, I'm only 18, so he's always out drinking, and and uh, first time I ever got hit, because I didn't want to stay at his parents' house alone, but didn't matter. So anyhow, so that goes on for a few years, and I will not go back home, I don't care, there's no way I would ever go back. So I'm working at a bank at that time and I I get pregnant and my little first child is nine months old and I end up catching uh, his father with another woman in my house. So I'm done. I just, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm working. I stay. I end up living with a girl at the bank and uh, in her basement. For a while to get on my feet. So that was that. And then so I end up meeting somebody else that um, a very intelligent person, college, ed- educated, uh, great family life, good man. And he has a son also. And so we get together, we end up married. And that was a long marriage. It was 18 years. I know now from looking back from therapy and, and that, that that was the father figure I, I never had. I wished I did have, and he was a good man and a good father and a good provider, but I, I didn't know love, I didn't even love me. How could I love somebody else? So it moved, I moved on then to, I divorced him. I go in an apartment because I'd never been by myself. And, uh, I do that for about a year. I meet somebody else. And so at this time, and I did raise a stepson from the time he was three years old. And when I left his dad, he was 21. And even though we had custody of him, he chose to never have contact with me again because I divorced his dad and it really broke me. I think one of the hardest things, because um, then I, I had to go to the doctor, and I felt suicidal, and um, I still, to this day, um, he doesn't have contact with me, and it broke my heart. But anyhow, so, you know, time goes on, and I remarry, and I'd had my tubes tied. And so I have my, my first child, and then I raise, I have these these two boys. And then, um, the husband I was married to for 18 years, we have two girls together. And, uh, so I, I just felt like it was a business, you know, um, we ran a good business. He worked a lot. He was out of town a lot. We went to church. I did all the things from the outside. I was a good mom, soccer mom, uh, sang in choir, um, ran the household and it was a clean household and then having the four kids. But when I left him, I carried a lot of guilt from that. And it's like, why can't I love him? Why? What's wrong with me? And, you know, I never really had fun. I never really did anything. It was just, this is the way it is. But I felt I was living a lie still. So anyhow, I, I meet then. My third husband, who's fun and outgoing, and um, he wanted a child. He was six years younger than myself, and I had had my tubes tied. And I'm a giver, so gosh, let me get my tubes reversed and see if this will work, you know? Um, There was only one good tube. And I first, I had a miscarriage after a month, and... I knew he wanted that more than anything. And this is out of pocket because nobody pays for that. But anyway, I, six months later, ended up pregnant with my youngest son. And I felt like it was a miracle we had him. And he was a good good father, um, selfish maybe. And I ended up leaving that relationship. We We had built a house together and a beautiful home, but it was... I guess I just felt taken for granted. It was his money was his money, and I paid the bills, and he would have his friends and motorcycle rides and all that, and I took care of everything, and he would not accept my youngest daughter. And we went to therapy for that, trying to help fix it. She was 11 years old um, when we got married, and then it just came to the point when she was 17, that it blew up and they were fighting and kicked her out. And that was kind of the end. I'm like, I am i can't do this anymore. And so. Hmm.
1: So at this point, you have had three marriages. You have five children in total?
0: No, well, the oldest was my stepson. So I've had four children. Four children
1: in total. Mm-hmm. And... Within these relationships, they've all been a bit different. Different circumstances. You know, the first one was abusive. The second one, nothing wrong with the guy, just didn't love him. Third person uh, started off, you know, pretty good, but there was the selfishness taken for granted, and and you leave, and and with your childhood you know you were someone who was became voiceless told uh you know n- you know things you learned were like not to talk even though you did eventually you know once something happened to your sister not you uh you d- then did something you you were used to chaos you were obedient You were not protected. You were quiet for a large period of your life. And the biggest thing here is the example that your mom set for you, which was abuse can happen. And even though abuse is going on, that at the end of the day, she went back to it and things were to be normalized again. As if nothing ever happened. And that is a really big thing to be a part of because for you, you know, with whoever you were dealing with already, you know, maybe these things came into play a little here and there, but you never uh, were in a relationship with someone who was truly truly a sinister type person who you would get locked into uh, uh love bombing, uh hoovering, love bombing, hoovering, and hitting all of the things that, you know, are really deep inside you un- until now. So until
0: now, right.
1: So tell us, you know, where did you meet this person?
0: Well of course, you know, those dating studies, right? Um
1: uh, and everyone from, from this point forward, we're going to be referring to this person as, um, the abuser. And cause later on in your story, your third husband will come back very briefly and we will call him, uh, your third husband. So third husband and abuser just for everyone who's listening.
0: Yes. Okay. So. So I'm um, yeah, I, I start meeting people on site and you know, coffee, dinners, whatever. Um, so when I meet this person, I you know, thought, oh, he was very, very charming, handsome, well dressed, and but he lived in his ex's basement. And I didn't I didn't like that idea. I thought, why would you be living if you're divorced? You know, what a that's kind of weird to me. Uh, so I didn't plan on seeing him, seeing him again. Well, he called me out of the blue three weeks later, and I did find out that that was by mistake later on. Uh, it was meant for some other girl from the dating site, but he's like, oh, well, do you want to go out again? And I said, well, are you still living in your ex's basement? And he goes, oh no, I'm getting an apartment. Uh, it should be, you know, next week or so I'm just waiting to get in. And I said, oh, okay, then sure. So that date kind of sealed us more together. Um, had a great time, uh, you know, when he he could be so funny and uh, just, you know, dancing and um, smothering you with, he pays for everything when you're out and all those kind of things. And I thought, wow. And, you know, for a guy his age, Pretty, you know, pretty good looking guy. But as I, you know, as time goes on, I see that he is constantly um, texting somebody. And when he was in the restroom one time while we were out, I saw it was this other woman that he had dated previously. And I got her number and I texted her and I said, could you just please leave him alone? You know, we're together now. And she said, yeah, well, you need to talk to him about that. Well, this was the first time I had seen his anger and we were leaving, getting in the car. And I said, you know, I see that you were talking to this person and I contacted her and he blew up. He took the glasses off of my face, broke them. He um, broke my rear view mirror off of my windshield. Just psycho screaming at me, calling me names. I had no right it's none of my business. And so that was, that was one of the first things that I saw.
1: So after that happened, what were you thinking to yourself?
0: I thought, my, my gosh, why did this trigger him so bad? I mean, I really didn't get it, really didn't get it. And it came down to, uh, I said, if you want to continue seeing her, that's fine, but I won't be involved in it. And so that was, I was not going to do it. And then he would say after the fact, no, I'm done with her. I made it over. It's just going to be me and you. And, you know, I had a rental property. So I had planned on moving, getting the renters out, moving into this property and out of the apartment that I was in. And, and he said, and I can, I can move in with you and I'll help, you know, with the mortgage, whatever.
1: So sorry to interrupt here. So when he breaks the mirror off, Mm -hmm. he then, you know, you say to him, you know, you can go have her, you know, and then he pulls the, I want you, Mm -hmm. here are the ways that I'm going to do that here. You know, I, I, I'll move in shared future. You are coming off of a third marriage. You have for children, you know, I'm not sure how you feel about yourself or your situation or anything like that. Uh, Psychologically here to take that behavior and then not look at it. Are you saying to yourself, he's choosing me? Like, here's this great guy. He's choosing me. Yes.
0: That's what I was doing.
1: Mm -hmm. He had a choice to go to someone else, but he's choosing me. Now that other thing is, is gone.
0: Right. Okay. So, so he did, you know, he, we, and he was excited. He moved in. And mind you, he had been married for, I don't know, 22 years. Um, but I think the last 10 of them, they weren't together. And then just so happens that person that he was still talking to uh, with me had sent his, his wife at the time, pictures of them together to bust him out to make him be with her, which caused them to then divorce, which then he moved into the basement. (laughs) And I do find this all out later, okay? Uh, But yet she's kind of still in the picture at that time with me. So he moves in. He comes with he had given his house and everything to his ex of 22 years. And they had two adult daughters together. And he basically came with two used vehicles. That's it. And his salary was not even as much as my salary was. So he paid half of the mortgage at that time and that was it. So it wasn't such a bad situation for him. And so over this time, you know, this is where I kind of see this anxiety. He's always always having anxiety, always hundred miles an hour. Uh, something's always going on. Uh, he's on his phone. He's researching this and that. And then he wants a boat. And uh, so he finds this used boat. So we go in together, paying half on this boat and then he wants it fixed up and it needs this and that. And then, you know, I have more money. So I do that, but I think it's something for us together. And, during this time, uh, he would lose his temper and he would start fights for no reason. He would look look for something. And he had a job where he worked four 10-hour shifts and he, uh, he would be home during the day and he would go through, he would stock my emails. He would stock pictures in a cabinet of when I was married before and then he would text me at work and he would start fights about it, you know, um, your, all you do is care about him and, you know, you don't do nothing for me and you're, you know, calling me names. Um, he would, he would monitor and I didn't know how he was doing it, but he would say, you're always giving your daughter money. And I think, gosh, we didn't even have joint accounts. How did he do that? How did he know? <laughs> and, uh, it got to where I, I felt I was always walking on eggshells. If he was mad, if I was a few minutes late coming home from work when he had been there, oh, you're out fucking somebody. Who were you with? I'm. I went through the car wash. It was like I had to be accountable to everything I I did. And he said, "You never do nothing for me." That was always the thing. You don't. You, you never do nothing for me. And you know, I would try to say, "Well, gosh, you know, I spent money on this boat," or I. You know, it would be, yeah, reseeding everything or we're going on a trip and I'm paying for it. Uh, I bought the groceries. I paid all the utilities. I, you know, um, it was never enough. Nothing was ever enough. So he wanted to start fights. I would find things that were broken of mine. You know, when he would get mad, there was a watch I had that was a nice watch. It was broken into pieces. And then I'd ask, how did this happen? This was up here. I don't know. You know, I knew he did it, but he would never admit to it. And if we would start doing any kind of uh, fixing up of the house and he would start a fight, he ripped up all the plants I planted out in the garden. You know, it was just crazy anger, throwing things outside of mine. And one time I had just had all I could take. And I said, you know, I want you out. I want you to leave. And I got in my car as he's calling me names and throwing stuff at me. And I came back later and we had bought a washer and dryer together and just put all new wood blinds. And these blinds were, you know, custom because they had to fit all the windows. He had taken a sledgehammer and he destroyed everything. I mean, I walked in house I just could not believe the damage that he did and he was gone it was crazy did I call the police no (laughs) the next day oh he's so sorry he just lost it I kicked him out and he's gonna fix everything he's gonna replace everything and he did he would always fix it We'd go out to a club and he liked to always go out. He didn't want to be home much. He wasn't that kind of person. He always wanted to go, 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 be seen, have drinks. And it would always be an argument. He would drink and do shots. And then if I was dancing to some music one night, there were all these girls up there I was dancing. And the next thing I know, he comes out of the bathroom and he's like, you fucking whore. And he leaves and I'm driving and I'm, I go pay the check and I try to find him. I can't find him. And I go to my car and he had taken a rock and, and shattered my windshield. I couldn't even see out of it. And I had to drive home, you know, not knowing where he was at, what he was going to do. You never knew what kind of toxic stuff. So it was psycho off the charts. And, and it was like, I didn't even do anything.
1: So you say you didn't do anything, but at that time, did he make it seem or convince you that maybe you did do something?
0: Yes, he did the next day after he came back to tell me what happened. He said that there was a guy up there dancing too, right behind me, and that I was with him. Which I didn't even ever remember seeing a guy up there, period, but that's what he said. So it was basically that's what he saw, that's what I did, and that's why he did what he did.
1: So after those things happened, and he'd have these stories of why he did these things, taking the blame off of him and putting it onto you, or at least onto something else. Then he fixes something, you know, takes care of it the next day. And then because of all of that being very confusing, once again, you know, you are able to look at it and say, like, makes sense.
0: Well, yeah, kind of. did. I thought, well, if that's what he thought. But, you know, I, that's, I started questioning, why is he like this? And back at that time, this is like, oh, 2012 maybe. I never heard the word narcissist, but I knew there was something wrong. And so I started Googling um, anger, zero to 100 in seconds, um, trying to find out what is wrong with him where he is so over the top, Jekyll Hyde. And one night when he was drinking, we were in the kitchen talking, he let something out that he regretted much later. Because he told me when he was living in California, he was driving drunk on the freeway and got into an accident and it killed the lady that he hit in the accident. And he went and hid in a field and there was helicopters flying over trying to find him. And the girl he was dating at the time happens to be the one he ends up marrying, which her, her brother was like the sheriff, and he ended up talking him into giving himself up, and he did go to prison for what he did. I don't know exactly for how long, but then I thought, again, me, caretaker, want to fix, want to love him, want to show him I'll, I'll always be there. I, I could understand, oh, my gosh, how horrible and you paid for that, but he told me that, and uh, I I kind of banked it, you know. I didn't really think a lot about it. But even as abuse would continue, I finally thought, you know what? I'm going to reach out to his ex. Um, I had met his daughters. His daughters were just beautiful people, you know. Um, so I reached out to his ex, saying, "Hey, could we meet for lunch sometime?" Uh, just Trying to understand, you know, what I can do. So I did meet with her and I said, Did something happen in his childhood to make him so angry all the time? And and she said, Well, there was something that happened. And I, I said, Oh, was it this? And she goes, Oh, he told you. And I said, Yeah. She goes, Yes, there was that. And um he grew up in a and I don't know a lot about it, but Seventh-day Adventist home where they church on Saturdays and stayed with the family, went to that kind of a school. Um, I, I, I'm i just not sure exactly what happened in growing up. His father, I think, did cheat on his mom. But why all this anger? I just thought there'd be something more than that, you know, to make him so crazy. So uh, I befriended her and um, thought, well, maybe, you know, I could have them over I would do cookie day Christmas and I'd have my adult daughters come over and I invited her and her daughters and thought we could do it as a joint thing. You know, why can't we all just get along? Right. Um, I told him that I had asked her to come and he got so angry at me for doing that. And I had a company Christmas party that night and we plan on staying at the hotel because we would be drinking and I had a lot of coworkers there and we were all in the bar afterwards and something was brought up about yeah we watch out for her you know she's single and we just want to make sure nobody messes with her and he got very angry about that so i am up passed out in the room, and he comes up and he wakes me up and he starts throwing me across the room. I am then throwing up and it's everywhere. And he's telling me that I must be screwing these guys at work. Why do they care? That's, you know, it was just insane. It was insane. Um, But always the next day, you know, he's going to make up for it. It's going to be better. He promises.
1: What when his ex wife told you, oh, maybe a little bit about him or maybe a tiny bit about his past, which she could offer, did the person inside you say, I can fix this person? Did you see this as a challenge in any sort of way?
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, I thought if I can just love him enough, if I can show him that. I'm not, I'm not going to leave him, even though he had this horrible thing he did. Um, I'm going to be there and I'm going to fill that hole inside of him. And I, I would buy things. I would, you know, every whim of things he wanted, he would bounce from this to that, to wanting this. It was just constant, you know? So I thought, yeah, I can love him that much.
1: So at this point, you aren't necessarily seeing him as an abuser per se. You're seeing him as someone who's had a rough upbringing and he's doing these things because of it. You've seen these good sides of him and you feel that if you love him enough that he can, he'll stop. And he'll be this thing that you've always wanted, this thing in your mind that you've always wanted and needed. Because when
0: he was fun, he was so fun and, you know, going boating and, um, you know, having some of the family come out. And so I thought, yeah, uh, I can, I can do this. I can, I can get him through this rough patch and we can have a good life. I had no idea. I mean, I started, I started like copying all the text messages because it would start off good during the day. Good morning. Hi, love you. You know, blah, blah. And then if I didn't answer right away, it would trigger him like, oh, I didn't have time, you know, but I'm busy. I have a busy job. And he go, oh yeah, you just got to, Yeah, show your tits to everybody. But I thought, he's so insecure. Why is he so insecure? you got to go through stuff to find something to fight about or be jealous of my son, who at that time, you know, was 12 or 13. And it's like my son, you know, and he would, he would refer to him as the king. I mean, this is my kid. (laughs) It's like, of course, I got to watch out and, you know, go to school and do things. It's what a mom does. But uh, it, would, it would always end up into a big fight. And I'd start copying these and messages and put them in. I just save them in a folder, you know, on the computer. Because it was so weird. It's like, why? And then it would always end up the name calling. Calling me horrible names. And the worst name you can imagine. It was one of the favorites he liked to call me. And it would just destroy me. I find that I'm very, like, highly sensitive. And... Why would you call somebody that name? Well, you know i don't mean it well it doesn't matter it's still awful, and you know it hurts me, and so he would do it, or he would pick on my older daughters and start fights and that's where the next thing came up we we had He had got down on his hands and knees and he had asked me to marry him, and he had got a ring, and I accepted, so I had this ring. And we um, had went out that night and he had had a DUI prior to meeting me. So he could not drive and drink because he had to have a blower in his car. So I was the designated driver. We were out at a, out at a place talking, having a, a good time. And then he starts turning into, okay, he's going to badmouth my kids, which he knows is going to get me riled up because I said, please don't do this right now. Come on, we're having a good time. Oh no, he wouldn't let it go. So I go out in the car for you know a while and I just sit out there. I thought, well, okay, I'll go back in and check, see if he's ready to go now. I go back in. Nope, he's gonna continue, and then he's calling me an F and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm leaving. So I go home and I'm afraid. So I drive home and I thought, you know, I'm gonna hide because I was afraid. And I go into where I had a lot of storage stuff in a spare bedroom, a big screen TV in there that wasn't being used. So I had a sleeping bag and I just got behind it. The light was off and I thought maybe he'll, when he gets home, he'll just go to bed, sleep it off. Well, he had come in and was looking for me and he found me. And he, he drugged me out by my hair into the living room. He sat on me and he, I want my effing ring. You're, you're effing this. And he, I've never been punched, but he punched me three times in my nose, in my face. And I could feel the blood splatter. And I'm shocked because to ever be punched in the face, it's like everything rings. You go numb. You just, I was so, and I'm just crying. And he's sitting on me. And, you know, he's like one to 10, I don't know, um, and punch in the face. You punch a woman in the face. And, and he rips the ring off my finger. And I, I crawl back to the spot. And I had had my phone back there by that TV in that spare room, and I'm crying. And I just dial 911 on my phone, but I don't talk. Well, he comes back in there. And so it was on. And they could hear him yelling and hear me crying and blood is all over still everywhere. And within 10 minutes, I hear the doorbell and I go down to the door and the police are there and they look at me and they said, where is he? And I said, oh, I'm not sure. Well, they found him out in the garage and he was hiding behind the car uh, which I find, what a pathetic, you know, here, you're a big man, you can punch a woman and then you're going to go hide from the police. But they ended up taking him, zip tied him, put him in the car and uh, came in for my, took pictures and my story. And then they took the ring out of his pocket and gave it back to me and took him to jail. So, and, you know, I never even went my nose was spread across my face, and the next day his daughter had to get a hold of me and ask if she could come and get some of his things because he couldn't contact me. And she saw me, so she knew. And uh but I didn't go to the doctor. I wished I would have at that time, but I didn't. I didn't know my nose was broken. Didn't find out till later. But uh even after all that, he ends showing up at my house after a few days. He's apologizing. Of course, they're going to make him go to anger management. That's going to fix everything. He's going to go to anger management. He got fined and did that. And they wanted me to make statements, you know, the victim's advocate. But I said, all I want is for him to get help. I just want him to get help. And thinking that would do it. <laughs> so after, you know, he's going to these classes, it had been a few weeks. I'm letting, I let him back. hear him down in the basement talking to somebody it's weird i just like what the heck you know Uh, come to find out it's another woman after all that so then i kick him out and then i he gets an apartment so he's out for a while and uh he ends up working his way back in again you know uh my my son's father my ex-husband ends up getting, uh, told he has cancer and there's this surgery that he can go and get, and it might save his life. So he has to go to another state and it's only done in three places in the United States where it's appendix cancer. It's very rare. They don't know a lot about it, but what happens is all the tumors, it's like this gummy stuff goes all over all the organs inside of your body cavity. And it, um, Head went through his stomach lining and uh, it it was really bad. So they end up taking out everything out of him and they scrape all those, these cancerous gummy things off. And they put chemo in there for 90 minutes and swirl it around. Then they put everything back. He lost his gallbladder, his spleen, part of his uh, kidney, some of his diaphragm and the stomach lining. Uh, they say he's going to die. Because it keeps leaking, so he's in another state, and so I asked the abuser, "Will you come back and just take care of the dogs?" Because I have to drive. Because they say he's not my son's dad isn't going to make it, and so it's a twelve-hour drive, and we go up there, and and this man had went from one hundred and seventy-five pounds to a hundred pounds, and he was had all these tubes and a breathing machine, and and uh they my son just you know we wanted to say goodbye and i saw him and i i just went to the floor passed out i just couldn't believe it well that guy ended up pulling through he was up there for three months and ended up when he came back they flew him back here he was in the hospital they removed his stomach i didn't even know you could live without a stomach but you can and he had a little pocket and he had to be fed you know Uh, In his stomach with liquid. And, but anyway, he was skinny, but he was alive. And so my abuser ends up coming back in after that, right? Uh, But then he's jealous. He's jealous that I'm helping my ex. He has nobody but his son and myself. So he's jealous of that. So I don't tell him everything. And, um, Abuse continues. Okay. So, so, uh, we drive to Tahoe and don't tell anybody. And we get married. And it was really weird. He cried. It was just him and I. And, you know, he cried. And I didn't quite understand. There was no consummating anything either the whole time we were there, which I thought, well, that's really weird. But, you know, I just went with whatever. So we go back and we tell everybody, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, we got married. And then um, it's like, okay, we're going to fix up that rental property that I own and take some money out because there's quite a bit of equity in it. And we're going to add another garage. We're going to redo the kitchen um, and then put a team on it because now we're married. So i do that well so it was a year after that um my ex was not doing well he when you've had this kind of surgery your esophagus it constantly has to be stretched so you can get food down because he started being able to eat but he had to go in like every six months and get it stretched so i would take him and i wouldn't tell my abuser because i knew he'd flip out so i would I would take my ex and we got, we got to be really good friends again, you know, Um, and he was sorry for the way things ended with us, but we, you know, I I was just there for him. And so it ended up, uh, he, his esophagus was still open, but the scar tissue from all that surgery had caused a, the blockage in the intestine the food wasn't getting down and they can't open you back up again once they've done all they did to him. So they tried to go in through his throat to see if they could make an opening through that scar tissue and they couldn't. So they gave him two weeks to live and I just tried to be there the last two weeks and help him. So by doing so, I helped him do a trust for my son. I had a I was still on the property that we had had and built together that he had. It was a bigger home, a lot more expensive. And he wanted me to finish, you know, having my son uh, finish high school in this neighborhood, in this house. And it was a lot nicer. So I said, okay. And so I moved as soon as he passed away. Um, I moved into the house with my son and the animals and my abuser stayed at the other house to get it ready. He was there for three months and to get it ready so we could sell it. So um, (laughs) his name was on it. So when we we're we get an offer on it right away and he said, we should buy, well, first of all, Uh, he wanted to buy a cabin and was looking. So before that house, we had closed on it. I borrowed from the trust money to purchase this cabin because I put down like a a hundred thousand. So the payments wouldn't be very much. He had no money, period. So the trust had a, you know, 50% um, investment in it, which saved me later. (laughs) And him and I had just then split the other 25% each, but we buy this cabin. And uh, then we move into this house and he wanted to be on the mortgage on this house. And I had done the paperwork, you know, I was gonna turn it into the title company and have his name put on and I had it all done. And so (laughs) we're only in this house, maybe a year together. We had bought an RV. It was a used RV, but we had bought that. We had bought another boat because, oh, he needed a new trailer for the smaller boat. And, oh, but you could get this whole boat and the trailer. And it didn't run, but, uh gosh, you know, he could fix it. He can fix anything. <laughs> so now we have two boats. Um, and his name's on both of those. And we have an RV. <laughs> And both names are on that. And we're here in this house. And it starts. And it's, i re- he got angry and he put a hole in the master bedroom door. And I, I'm i like, you are not going to do this. You are not going to do this. Um, this house has made it all these years. It's never had damage. I'm not going to ha- let this happen like it did the other. Because the other house, anytime there was an argument, he took out the railing in the other house. Like I said, the blinds, the, uh, washer dryer, he kicked in the bathroom door so many times because I try to run away from him because he would attack and try to lock myself in and he would kick the doors down. So he was always replacing doors. Um, it was just artwork, anything that was mine, he would destroy it. It didn't matter to him. So, So we're, we're in this house and nobody knows the things that he did to me. I would always hide it. Nobody ever knew what he did. I had to go to work one time and I had the worst black eye. I had to go to work and make up a lie because I didn't want people to know. I felt such like a failure, you know, here I'm smart. I'm, you know, fairly successful. I, why is this happening? I, I I couldn't let people know what he was doing to me. So I would lie. And uh, it wasn't until, yeah, the last thing, which it wasn't, and I remember him saying, I didn't even do anything. It wasn't even that bad. We'd had friends over, we were playing games and he was he was bullying me like he would do or belittle me and put me down in front of people. I could never do anything right. Uh, and I was talking about my birthday was coming and I thought, it'd be fun to have a karaoke party here. We got a nice basement, you know, we can have it in. And I was talking to this friend and just saying, gosh, maybe we should do something like that. Let me know. And they Ubered home. And as soon as they left, he turns around to me and he said, you fucking bitch. And I was like, what? Oh, you think you're going to plan your own fucking party? I said, he didn't even make plans. i was just talking out loud. You think you run shit? You don't run shit. That's what he would tell me. You're a fucking idiot. And, you know, I was just done. I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And I went to the master bedroom. I grabbed my pillow and I went down the hall and he's calling me names the whole way. And I went across the house into the spare room and I stayed there. And the next day, he thought he was just going to text me, and nothing happened. Right, and I wasn't going to talk to him. He goes, "Oh, you're going to carry this. You're just going to hold on to it. You just can't get over. You got you got a war chest. You just got to have your war chest." Oh, the poor victim, because I had told him things, you know, about my childhood and how bad and things were, and he would throw it in my face. It's like who does that? To, oh, you're just the victim. Let's play the victim. And it was so sick and wrong. So I just said, I, you know, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And then it was like, well, you're a fucking ugly cunt because that was his favorite. And I just thought, I can't, I can't take it anymore. So I called a lawyer and I said, you know, went in and met, and it's like, what, you know, I don't know how it works in this day, you know, what's going to happen. We've only been, you know, married what amounted to four years. And even though during that time he was out again for a while and I had even locked the doors that time, changed the locks, blocked him from my phone. And he ended up at my doorstep crying. I'm going to a doctor now. I'm going to get on medication. Please, please just talk to me crying. I'm so stupid, and I take them back, you know, and during this, I went to therapy, because I thought, what is wrong with me, why do I keep doing this, there's the common denominator, I've been married this many times, and the common denominator is me, what, what can I do, you know. So I'd go to one therapist, and she'd show me the circle, and she'd show me the patterns, and, you know, this is what it is, and he's a narcissist, and you have to leave, and I wouldn't. And then I had him go in one time, and this this therapist, man, he just had him down to a T, and, of course, that made the abuser angry. Oh, that guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He doesn't know shit. I know more than he does about therapy. So... At that time when I stayed in that room and I went to that lawyer and she said, Well, whatever assets you have, he's gonna get half. And I said, Even though we've only been together for years and he came into this relationship with two used vehicles and no money, doesn't matter. I'm like, okay. And I she said, Now the house you're in right now is his name on it. And I thought it was. And so I called the t- title company the next day and I had them check and they said no he's not on it and I'm like really I was like I ended up finding that form in my drawer signed and ready to be mailed later honest to God I think it was it was an angel god thing spiritual I don't know but the fact that I didn't mail that and have his name put on this house because he would have got a lot more money so he couldn't he couldn't get anything from this house But the cabin, he was able to get 25% out of that because the trust had, you know, 50. And he was able to get half of all of our assets. But what he did, and she had told me, she said, what you need to do, you need to give him a few days to get his stuff and get out. Since he's not on the house, get him out, change the locks, and do not let him back in. Well, He was like, I don't have anywhere to go. I need more. You can't give me a few weeks. Gee, I'm just supposed to go find some place to live. So I ended up giving him money because I knew we were getting back a tax return. So I gave him his half before I got it back, thinking, okay, go find an apartment. Do whatever you need to do. So I give it to him. But it's still, it's a few weeks. And that was a huge mistake because... I gave him those few weeks and he stayed in the master bedroom. I'm in the spare bedroom. This is my house. (laughs) but Anyhow, uh, when I get him out, I change the locks. I change the code. So he can't, there's no way he's going to get in this house. And he did try to get back in. But what he did later, he took the RV out of the side of the yard. And I call my lawyer. I'm like, he took the RV. I mean, well, he took the titles to everything. He had taken that time to make sure he could take everything he needed, all the titles to the vehicles, the RV, the boats, his cars, what I had bought, this used BMW. I mean, unbelievable, right? And then I so I called my lawyer. Can I, he took the RV out of the yard. Now, that's in both of our names. I put his name on it also. Well, his lawyer said it's just his name. And I didn't have the title to look at And what he had done, and I found out later, he's so conniving. He's so good at it. He had said he lost the title. And because it said one or the other, not and on the title, you can go and you can have the registration just putting your name. And he did. And that's what he showed his lawyer to say, it's mine. She's lying. But when it came down to the nitty gritty and I went back to the DMV, I find out they have a copy of the original title and yeah, my name is on it. So you're a liar. So I had to bring it back, but it took me so long to get a divorce. He, um, wanted more money. He thought he was due more money and the trust shouldn't count and blah, blah. He wanted another 40,000 something. So as this goes on, comes down to months of going back and forth and the attorney's fees are going up anything and I'm like he calls me he said I want 44,000 and I said nope that's it you know what I've had it I've had it okay now I am going to make everything public the pictures he had I had went back to all my pictures every time he did something you know and you forget because so many things happen three months before I kicked him out for the last time He had choked me in the middle of the day, not drinking, just because I was going somewhere and he didn't know. He choked me in the bathroom and said, I could kill you right now if I wanted to. And he squeezed my neck so hard. And I just stared at him and he let go. And so I took pictures of my neck. So I saw those pictures from three months prior to me kicking him out. Then I'd even forgot. And I tell my lawyer and he says, we need a restraining order. And if a man says, if he chokes you, says, He will kill you, he will kill you. You need to stay away and never go back. And so I threatened him. All those pictures were gonna go public. Now you gotta understand, he was broke. I I honestly was gonna put everything all over social media. I I told my attorney, I've had it. I am gonna show these pictures of the black eyes of uh, the police report. I went down and got that police report. And the pictures from when he broke my nose and the statements, I said, it's all going out there. Oh, you fucking liar. You don't have anything. I didn't do shit. I said, I've had it. It's going to happen. I'm not doing this anymore. I want it finalized now. And within 30 minutes, I get a call from my lawyer. Okay, he's, he's ready to settle. <laughs> so that did it. That was the ticket because he knew I wasn't lying and got the divorce. So you know time goes on, right? he uh he contacts me periodically during this time, which is really weird, out of the blue on um, things. one night, it was I sitting on the couch and i get a I get a text like, "Why can't you mind your own business? why you gotta stir up shit and get a hold of my girlfriends?" and I just start laughing. I'm like, "What are you talking about? I haven't texted anybody. I could care who you're with. I don't know. I go, "Oh, still playing that same game, huh." And I thought it was kind of funny. Thank God I was done with it. But I mourned. It's so weird. You you know, you're in love with somebody. You've been with them for so long. I grieved. I grieved that lost, I don't know, hope or whatever. And it was like I slept a lot. I, I worked. I came home. I did nothing. I, I hibernated. I I was so sad. I felt so broken. And I knew I had to just get through, and it took months. But then it's like I had family come in town, and out of the blue, I get a text. Um, It was, I miss you. Now, this has been a year after. I'm thinking, what the heck? I don't even answer it. And I showed my sister, and it's like, what the hell? Then later again, I go on a high school reunion trip clear back to Tennessee and I get a text while I'm there from him. Are you okay? Okay. Now this is weird. It's like, what the heck? We don't have the same phone accounts. How can he know where, you know, this is weird. Why would he, you know, come to find out. Okay. So that was in October and then the next end of January, the person he was with, Something horrible happens. They get into it and he breaks her nose. He goes to jail. She contacts me. And in March, she tells me the story and how she found out about what he had done to me. Because it was in the police report also. And she she filed charges. She wanted him to go to jail. She wanted him to pay he broke her nose, he chipped her tooth. Um, it's they did not get married, okay? And this is where it gets good because I find out she's she's kind of a bulldog, and I wished I'd have had the same in me like her, but she you can't stalk somebody, but you can hire a private detective to do stuff for you. And she had him, had a GPS put on his a tracker put on his car. And she was tracking him and finding out all kinds of stuff, his MO, what he does, and match and moving on to always the next, the next, the next woman. So she says, I'm I'm taking him to court. He needs to pay for what he's done. He needs help. He's an alcoholic. And so she pursues, you know, him going to jail. And so he gets, we go to jail, we go to court and she asked me if I will help her. And I say, you know, I will give a statement, an impact statement. And it's a Zoom court because of, you know, COVID. So I'm online at work and I sent in my impact statement of what I've gone through with him and um, his ex-wife is there to stick up for him, the one He was with for 20 some years saying what a good guy he was and all those things. Um, But the judge had my impact statement and then he had the record of what had happened. So he sentenced him to only nine days in jail. Okay. But it was a two year probation. You cannot be out drinking. You cannot be in a place that just serves alcohol and you were going to go in and test randomly for alcohol and if you do not abide by the probation, you're going to end up back in jail. And otherwise, it would have been 365 days in jail for what he had done for the uh, assault. So anyhow, so this bulldog girl, she tracks him. And she gets videos of him out drinking with his family, <laughs> with his ex-wife, too. And the PI, you know, has it all on video and even makes sure. To ask the waitress, I'll have what he's having. (laughs) Uh, Because they're not really doing anything with the probation thing. It's like, oh, they have so many cases. It's like the guy knew it. He could get away with it. But during this time of her tracking and her telling me things, I go into my cell phone service provider. And I'm like, you know, I am not on the account with this person anymore. How could they track me? How would they know? How would he know where I am? So they start researching. Well, what I found out was we had Apple Music, and he paid for the account. He was the manager of Apple Music. So myself and my son were still on that account. He could track my phone where I was at that whole time. No wonder I'd get these weird texts. He knew where I was. He would go to my cabin. He knew when I was there and when I wasn't. He took this girl and she told me everything, how he said, oh, I cheated on him and he had to leave me. And I was a whore and he paid for everything. <gasps> it was like lie after lie. And um, so I was able to cancel that. it wasn't gonna track me anymore. Uh, so they buy a cabin together. Right across from where mine was. A lot nicer. Uh, They're not married. So. Now she has a restraining order against him. Hasn't seen him in all these months. But is having him followed. He gets a lawyer. He's going to force her to sell it. He hasn't paid a dime since. You know all these months. Um, And. So she has to hire a lawyer. That. She's going to fight it. Why should I have to give him, you know, sell this and give him half? What he did, and this is how smart he is, he had some cash that he borrowed from his 401k to put down on this nice cabin. And she had told him, I'll I'll give you back your money. No, that wasn't good enough. But what he did at closing, he couldn't be on the mortgage because his credit was so bad. That at closing, when he sh- he just decided to show up and said, you know, I put down some cash. I think I should be a- on this deed also. And it was so like, spur of the moment, whatever, that she allowed him and it was joint tenants on this deed. <sighs> so there he had a loop, I guess, to be able to um, maybe force her to sell. So this is going on. and. She's like, okay, I just hired the lawyer, but I shouldn't have to give him half, but I'm going to see, you know, and of course, values have gone up like crazy since this time, and so she's going to fight it. Well, it comes down to November, and the couple that was here the night, I was playing games that I kicked him out for the last time. I get a text from her, and she's like, I'm so sorry to hear about, you know my abuser. And I was like, thinking, what? So I call her and I said, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, you don't know. I said, no. She goes, he's dead. And I'm like, what? And the only thing, you know, we didn't know is, gosh, did he have a heart attack? What? Well, he had always had atrial fib and I had him on my insurance. He'd have been shot back into rhythm numerous times, blah, blah, blah. He had to take medication. I guess the whole time he was with this new girl, she said he never would take medication. Didn't like how it made him feel. Plus, he drank a lot. I think he was a ticking time bomb. So where this is, gets interesting now here at the end, <laughs> he uh, was home this day. He was off work. Normally, he would be working that day. He was out back living with his ex in her basement (laughs) out on the patio, like one o'clock in the afternoon, she walks up, she finds him dead. Uh, So the girl that contacted me, his ex-girlfriend goes to where he works and wants to know what they'll tell her what happened, what, what happened this. And that person that is the head of the thing says, well, He took the day off because he was supposed to pick somebody up at the airport. And so he switched days with me. But he never made it to the airport. And come to find out this person he was supposed to pick up was another woman from another state. She called there looking for him. And he had to say, well, he died. And he was already having a girlfriend here. Somebody else. (laughs) And the two didn't even know about each other. But when it came time for the funeral, they were both at the funeral, (laughs) which I find kind of, you know, ironic. uh, That his ex-wife, his two women were there and he's gone. So, you know, I think the way this, this ends. And, and for me, cause therapy, yes. And it's been, it'll be three years in March that I had him gone. You know, I've been through therapy. Yes. And therapy helped in a lot of ways, a lot of things, but then it wasn't, it wasn't getting to a lot of the damage done to me. And it's like, I need more. I need, I need help, you know? And so I'm now working on a lot more with myself, my childhood that I have to clear up my the insecurities i i know what a narcissist is now you know i know the i know the signs and i will never ever ever be with somebody like that again so i've come a long way and i i i just think about and i don't know if you've ever seen the movie um the name of it is uh and it's with Julia Roberts. It's...
1: Sleeping with the Enemy.
0: Sleeping with the Enemy. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I would written it down. I can't find my note. So, you know, you think of that movie and the control, because that's the kind of control I lived with for a long time. He would always be right about whatever. And there was a thing with her, you know, the towels had to be all straight. And then she finally was on her own. And she then she messed them up so they weren't straight. So... There was a thing here where I had to have all my glasses in the house turned up, where I had always had them down. He said, you don't do that. You don't put glasses in the cabinet upside down. You know, it's dirty on the bottom or something. And I'm like, well, you have them up, and then there's dust or spiders or something. Get in it. I don't know. You're wrong. You need to do it this way. So it was always his way. I just wanted to keep the peace. And so when all this is done and he's gone and I'm unloading the dishwasher and I'm going to put the glasses away (laughs) and I'm putting them up and I'm like, oh, I don't have to do this. And I just went through everything. Just, "Oh, oh, they're all upside down now. The way I want it, no more control. It's been so hard to find me again. I'm happy. I'm positive. I laugh a lot. Um, I had lost myself for so long. And it's hard, you know, my older daughters, they had no idea the things I went through. And so, you know, they know a lot of it now. They're going to know all of it if they listen to this. But, uh, you know, I i know that when you, you know better, you do better. And that's a Maya Angelou saying. And I know better now. And I am going to do better. And I've learned to love me and put myself first. I'm a good person. And I care about people. And sometimes there's people you just can't fix. You know? It's kind of my story.
1: (laughs) And if you had any words of wisdom or advice for people listening, what would it be?
0: You know... You know, inside it's wrong, you're being treated wrong. You know it, you feel it deep, and you have to search to find the strength to stop the pain. You know, know that you matter, that nobody should be. Treated so horribly. And I know, you know, with my childhood, and it's just like, gee, it's like dysfunction. And it's a normal thing to have dysfunction, but it's not, you know, you, when you know it's wrong, you can't take it. Search it out. You can't fix everybody. Fix you. Fix you. Find the strength. And it took me a long time because I didn't reach out to people but I started researching things and researching. You can't fill a hole with some people. It's just unfillable, and they're not going to change. So you can only change you and don't believe the horrible things they say about you. It's not true. So that's, I guess that's the advice I give them.
1: (laughs) Well, Poncho, (laughs) you're laughing when we say Poncho, it's... (laughs) we we there's a reason why why that name was was chosen. So, I really want to thank you for for being here today. This was not an easy story to tell. This was not an easy story for people to listen to. You were able to tell your story today in a way where you conveyed your feelings very well, conveyed your pain very well. The depth of where you sunk to and you're able to put words into people's mouths as far as your feelings go to help explain what they might be going through as well for the first time.
0: Gosh, I just, if anything, if anybody out there can relate to anything that I'm saying, just know you matter. Don't believe the horrible things. You're not an idiot. You're smart. You're beautiful. You're loving. You're caring. And they know that, or they wouldn't have picked you. They know that. And that's what they prey on.
1: And, you know, just like that, just like how you said right there, you know, you, people can hear it in your voice, you know, that you care. And I think that goes a long way here today, that you care. You care about everyone that's listening today and you care about everyone who's listening to leave, to get better, to take care of themselves and to, you know, um, just get to a place where, where you've now gotten to. And
0: yes, yes. You know, you can heal. You can heal. It sometimes it takes people longer than others, but you can heal. I can heal from my childhood. It, you know, you like you say, you don't, you don't pick your parents. You don't pick what happens, but you can rise above it. You can know that you do matter and don't, don't ever give up on yourself. You're going to be okay. What's important to me, my kids, my grandkids, people, people. I love people. I'm a people person. I can talk to anybody anywhere. And I've never been able to tell this story until today and it, you know, it was hard. It's it's been a year thinking about calling in and wanting to do it. But I thought, you know, other people have helped me so much with what they've gone through. I hope I can help somebody else.
1: You did. You you changed somebody's life today. So thank you so much for, for being here and for being part of what we're doing and, Now, before we end off our show today, everyone, uh, just something that was mentioned in the show about Apple uh, Music. It was, and how someone can break into Apple Music and see your location. It's not Apple Music, it is actually, there's a family sharing plan within Apple. And if that family sharing plan, if everyone within the plan has their location services turned on, then whoever runs the actual plan can see where everyone is. So that's how everything was seen uh, through that uh, plan. And I'm sure I think part of that plan, um, you know, they also received uh, Apple Music, but it was the family sharing plan through Apple. So just to clear that up with everyone. So now, if you want to be a guest on our show, go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to the Guest Form page. On that page, there's a lot of instructions. Please do read the instructions, and then you can either send us your email through our guest form or through NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. But please do read all of the instructions before you send us our email, and we will go from there and also at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button there that says Support Group. When you click on that, it takes you to our very own Safe Social Network where we have on their forums. We have integrated Zoom support meetings that are every Wednesday night and Saturday night and Thursday afternoons. We also have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes on there as well. And if you just want to support the show, sign up to the support group. So please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page. There's a button that says support group, and we will go from there. We'll see you there. And if you need even more support, everyone, more support, go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone because DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles, resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing and they can connect you with local resources as well like shelters and they can help you find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource today and now I just want to say a big thank you again once again to Poncho for being a guest on our show and for just... You know, being a caring person, you can really tell in her voice that she really cares about everyone who's listening to the show and she just wants to help everyone feel less alone and with her experience, uh, help people maybe get out of their situations faster and have them learn some lessons as well. So a big thank you to Poncho for being a guest on our show. And now from myself and Poncho, we hope you have a good night.